0: burger
1: burger bites is recorded on location in ozark missouri and presented on anchor the views expressed on burger bites are not necessarily those of the staff and ownership of the grip and rip baseball league enjoy the show the first thing i learned from my friend chris mesa was that he knows cheese For once, I'm not using baseball slang. I'm talking about real, natural cheese. Cheese that's made 600 pounds at a time in a factory in Springfield, Missouri. Cheese is Chris's trade. Or at least, cheese is what pays the bills and helps Chris take care of his family. Because this is a baseball podcast, I'm sure you've guessed that one of Chris Mesa's real passions in life is baseball. He coaches junior varsity players on the north side of Springfield at Hillcrest High School. It is the smallest of Springfield, Missouri's five public high schools, and more than half of the student population faces some sort of an economic disadvantage or hardship at home. Fortune seems to favor the south side of Springfield, where enrollments and test scores are higher. Fewer kids worry about where their next meal is coming from, and baseball players are geographically and economically closer to private training facilities. Hillcrest is simply not an easy place to coach baseball these days, but Chris Mesa can identify with the boys who lace them up for the Hornets. In some ways, they are similar. Long before Mesa moved to Missouri, worked his way up the chain at the Cheese Factory, and found himself managing the Republic Locos of the Grip and Rip Baseball League, he grew up in a Hispanic neighborhood on the south side of Chicago, where his parents instilled a love for family that still guides Chris today. I happen to know that the number one fan of the Republic Locos is your mother. So I want to throw it way, way back. Let's talk about growing up Mesa. You know, what was your childhood like?
0: My parents, Simon and Velda Mesa, they just blue collar Americans, like just working every day kind of deal. You know, grew up on the South side of Chicago. It's not the best um, environment in general. Um, our neighborhood usually makes a top 15 or top 20 list every year for most dangerous neighborhoods. And usually like in that process it's just the idea of growing up there. It, it really, what, like to me as a kid, it didn't seem too bad. And you really figure out like as an adult, like, oh, okay. Like we live in this kind of neighborhood. And, um, I think my parents did a really good job of just keeping me in check and, you know, really teaching me kind of right from wrong because at any given time there was always an opportunity for influence. In our neighborhood and that's just like that's just part of it my dad grew up in mexico Um, he moved to chicago him and his oldest sister so they had their first experience they moved out to the south side which is a really heavily populated um, latin and african-american side of the, the city and so we live in a really highly populated hispanic community and it's just like a little family like it's a little you know we call them barrios it's just part of the neighborhood. Like everyone, like I, my aunt lived upstairs and my grandma lived upstairs. My grandpa, and my aunt lived across the street. I had one aunt that lived down the street. I got like three aunts that lived on the other end of the block. So I'm within earshot of all my aunts. So it was kind of hard to get in trouble because I didn't give a moment. I can get grabbed by the ear and like dragged back to my parents' house and get told like <laughs> like hey you're doing something bad you know he needs to go inside so it was really hard to just i tried to do the best i could to at least out of trouble as much as possible but i mean it's it's a lot like you hear in the news it's dangerous like at any given time like you know i've had cousins even here recently now as adults like get held up at gunpoint before you know i've had you know family members get robbed like it doesn't change like it's just it's life but it's it's not a great life to live but we did the best that we could to to kind of just involve more family oriented things.
1: You grew up predominantly in a a Spanish speaking household. So, you know, but let's, let's talk about the neighborhood a little bit. Was, was Spanish the predominant language out in the street when you went outside to play as well?
0: Oh yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) a lot of people don't know. And my mom likes to tell the story because I mean, obviously she's my biggest fan, you know, I love her to death, but what she likes to tell people is that well, yeah, he used to he learned Spanish first because we were like my parents used to work all the time and they were just, you know, 40 hour a week type people going and clocking and you know, paying for babysitting. Even back then and in the late eighties, early nineties is, is still expensive. So when you got that much family around, I just basically got shipped upstairs and was hanging out with my grandma, my aunts, and my grandpa all day, every day, and they don't speak any English whatsoever. So I like to tell people that I'm ESL, I'm English second language. But I mean as far as the neighborhood's concerned, like, man, all my friends, like, because we grew up speaking English because we have to go to school because like all the schools teach us English. But like, if we were like messing with each other or yelling at each other or cussing each other out, like it was all in Spanish all the time. It was, that's just how it was. And but I, it was really good camaraderie, even with, even in like the bad areas of the neighborhood, like even the people that we probably shouldn't have been hanging out with even they were still like really nice to us as younger kids. And they were used to tell us like, Hey, you guys need to go home. Don't you know? go home today. Like don't play. Like, and I know it sounds bad as like a, a five, six, seven, eight year old kid, like to be told, Hey, go home because there might be a possibility of a drive-by or somebody getting jumped or something like that. But it's just, it's what we grew up with. It's just kind of how life was.
1: So in that kind of environment, you know, what kind of opportunities were there for you? Just, you know, not only for your education, but to just, do kids stuff that some of us take for granted, you know, playing sports and getting involved in uh, extracurricular activities and, and enriching your life a little bit.
0: Yeah. I mean, we, I mean, there's still opportunities for that kind of stuff. It's just, you know, they try and do a lot of stuff during the really early evenings. They don't really do anything super late at night. They try and, you know, have at least the Chicago public park systems, like they have people patrol and they try and keep a, at least a good little understanding of it and, you keep things under wraps and try and control the whole environment and the situation but every once in a while like you know you get in a bad situation you know two people that are at the same game are from two rival gangs and because they have one son or a brother or a nephew playing or whatever the case may be and then all of a sudden it's like trying to de-escalate a lot of those situations uh didn't happen a whole lot but happened enough that we had to have you know some situations where all right well let's you know let's leave real quick or hey, let's go like let's cancel the game like that kind of stuff at the same time it was that's all we had really as kids like there was a little neighborhood park that was a couple blocks away so you know riding our bikes to there like sometimes we'd have to take different routes to get there because this one block is not the best block to drive through at this time of day and blah 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 so just growing up in that atmosphere like i don't know you don't understand like how Difficult or weird it is until you're actually in that environment, honestly. At that, like, it's hard to explain to people because people, like, they're like, oh, well, you sound like, you know, you grew up so proper and like you have good ethics and a good, a good soul on your body. Well, it's like, yeah, I get that. But at the same time, it's like, it doesn't fault that I'm living in a top 10 worst neighborhood in Chicago where, you know, where I see kids get beat up in the corners or I've seen kids get hit in the head with a 40 ounce malt liquor because they were aware of the wrong colors. Like it's, it's kind of hard to explain those type of things, but I got started in baseball pretty early as early as possible. I was five, I think. And honestly, like I hated baseball. My first year, I played it, hated it with the passion.
1: What was so bad about it?
0: Um, Honestly, I don't know. Like, I think it was my coach. My, my parents liked it to me that that was the case. It was like that my coach, was just being a jerk or this and that. And I actually, I give a lot of credit and like faith or whatever to the coach I have when I started as a six-year-old in 1994, or whatever the case may be. His name's Isaiah Sachuga. Like, i just gonna give a shout out to him. I don't know if he'll listen or not, but I left the game one day and like he was coaching his son because we're the same age on a different field. And he realized like I had left and I was crying because I did bad or something. And the coach was yelling at me and I was like, Telling my mom, "Hey, I don't want to play," blah blah. blah. And he came over and said, "Hey, why don't you come to one of my practices? Like, let's figure this out, kind of deal." And I went to go play for him, and then I went and played for him the next summer. And I'd played for him for probably eleven years, twelve years before I, you know, before he moved away. And so wherever he went, I kind of went with him. He went, we went to a couple different parks around Chicago because we didn't really have travel ball growing up; like that just wasn't an option financially or the kids in our neighborhood kind of deal, like a bunch of Hispanic kids. And me, a half white kid, like (laughs) just living life in the neighborhood and playing ball because we like to play ball. It wasn't because we wanted to travel around and our parents couldn't afford it. They could barely afford us to get cleats and gloves and stuff.
1: It's a lot of that,
0: you know, and, but I got, I grew to love baseball and I kind of just let whatever natural ability I had take over and just never stopped.
1: So as you got a little bit older, you know, what kind of opportunities were there for you, you know, say at the high school level?
0: we ended up moving. Um, I will say a lot of people, they don't know like the differences between like North side, South side type of Chicago, but we ended up moving because my grandparents moved to Texas and kind of gave us an opportunity to get out of the neighborhood, gave us an opportunity to really just get away from the environment mm-hmm. kind of deal. I was, I think I was in sixth grade, seventh grade when we moved. Um, so it was like a big culture shock to me. I had to find new friends and I'm blindsided by the whole aspect. I got to leave all my friends I've known for the last 13 years, I got to leave my family, like everything I've ever known has been south side of Chicago. And now we got to go move to the north side. And um, being a diehard Sox fan, it was a really tough, tough uh, move for me because we are living in Wrigleyville, which is like all Cubs, everything. And when the White Sox won the World Series in 05, I was literally the only person that celebrated in my neighborhood within like a 30 block radius. I was like running around with the flag, and I was like, yeah, the White Sox won, the White Sox won. And people were like, okay, cool, Like, we're Cubs fans. I'm like, I don't care.
1: (laughs) While he'd moved out of the barrio to a slightly better neighborhood, Chris Mesa was far, far removed from living a comfortable, carefree life. As he continued his way through the ups and downs of adolescence, he had a decision to make as he entered his teenage years. Chicago Public Schools has more than 360,000 students. About 18% of them, like Mesa, are bilingual. There are more than 100,000 kids at more than 160 high schools for students in grades 9-12. through 12. As it turned out, Chris Mesa wouldn't attend a Chicago public high school.
0: So we were always just K3, the whole all the kids in the building all at the same time because there's so many different public schools in Chicago and so many different the ways that the neighborhoods are broken up so it's like you could have like a 3 block radius you're going to one school and if you're two houses to the left you're going like a school that's four blocks from you. It's ridiculous how much of a gridded system everything was that and it was so finite on this line right here. You can't go past this line or else you're going to a different school. So I ended up going to this one elementary school And honestly, like I never skipped the beat. It was kind of like the same environment that I was in on the south side. We had a lot of kids that were getting bussed in from neighborhoods that on the north side that weren't that great either. We used to have kids getting fights all the time. Like we used to play football in the courtyard, concrete, like wrought iron fences, like looks like a jail pretty much. (laughs) Like a big old school jail. Um, but I mean it's it's just how I grew up and so when, once that was over, we graduated eighth grade and I really only had two options. And I, I tell the story all the time to people that, that always ask me about like, well, why'd you go to this high school? Because so in Chicago, they have to make you test for like a placement test for which high school you can apply to. So it's almost like kind of like Kickapoo where they have their selective enrollment. You can apply to Kickapoo and either the yes or no kind of deal. And then you pick and choose from based on where you're living at. Well, in Chicago, you can take a test and it's kind of like an ACT. And based on your score, it gives you a list of options for schools. Well, you have to go to a certain place to take that test. You can't, they only have certain testing sites. You know, you can't test it at your elementary school. So I get this letter in the mail and I tell my mom, and school is like 45 minutes away. I mean, it's not that far as far as like Chicago blocks are concerned. But if you're like driving in Chicago, it takes forever to get anywhere. So what took a, what normally should have taken us like, It's like 14 miles, but it's like a 47 minute drive because in those 14 miles, you got 37,000 stoplights and 2 million people driving all over the place. (laughs) So she's like, I'm not driving you over there. Like, that's crazy. Like, why would you have to go to that school? We've never been to that school. And I'm like, it's just for this test, mom. We have to take it. Like, we have to take this test so I can have a placement idea of where I'm supposed to be going for high school or at least have an options. And she's like, no, that's so silly, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just, like, continuing to try and, like, hey, like, I need to take a test. And so the day comes of the test. I'm like, hey, we got to go. She's like, That's not for that school. You have to take a test somewhere else or something different for the schools that you want. We're, we're not even thinking about going to that school. It's so far. I'm not taking you. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, we got to go. And then we don't. So we end up not going. I missed the test. And so then I'm just kind of, sh- you know, I'm, you can put the blooper over it, but I'm kind of sh- out of luck at this point because I only have two options. I either go to private school or I have to go to the, my neighborhood high school, which is not a good high school at all. Like my mom went there back in, in the, when was she born? So she went back there in like the 60s and 70s and stuff. Like it was kind of a bad neighborhood then. They had a lot of biker gangs and like, but then now, with people moving in it converted to like just a normal like you know everyday kind of gang situations and it's like well do i go to that school and basically get involved with the type of stuff that i literally just got away from on the south side um, or do i try and find a different school so i was actually playing football for like a pop Warner team because i had a buddy of mine that was in elementary school he said like, hey you should come out and play football with me i'm like all right cool like i never played football before organized before seventh grade seventh grade is my first time ever playing organized football and one of the catholic high schools in town used to be really close to that park used to play at and they used to come over and just kind of watch and scout like because people tell you otherwise but there's a lot of recruiting that goes on in catholic schools <laughs> uh, it just it happens so yes um, it does so he's out there watching us yeah so he's out there watching us play football and he stops me after the game and he's like have you ever played before blah blah, blah. i'm like hey no this is only my second year playing He's like, "Well, I think you should come play football for us." And I was like, "All right, cool." Like that sounds like a good idea. Like I kind of like football enough. I like baseball. I was like, "Let's go try it, whatever." And, uh, St. Patrick High School, Chicago, one like you know, fifty nine hundred West Belmont, uh, the oldest. <laughs> it's gonna sound really crazy. But don't judge me, people. It's the oldest Catholic, all male school, um, in Chicago. I'm definitely the oldest boys' school in Chicago because there's right. a couple.
1: So that must have been a pretty big adjustment.
0: Oh, it was. I mean, yeah, it was. <laughs> I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> like I said, I was going to play football and I was just going to play baseball because I just love baseball. It was just was a passion of mine. But again, I never had like any individualized training like kind of like the kids have now. I feel like if I had even half the resources that kids had nowadays, like who knows? I always like to give myself a little bit of glimmer of hope that I would have been a lot better if I would have had a little bit more at my advantage um but we talked about it before man like growing up like like my parents did, did good enough you know they were obviously they were able to afford like for us for me to go to catholic high school like but like i never had my own bats i never had my own gloves like i always had like either hand-me-downs or borrowing other people's gloves like i didn't get my first glove of my own that i actually like saved up a little bit money for and picked like ordered it online it had to come in the box until i was a junior in high school all the way from little league to high school. And I was, I used everyone's glove that I could find. And, you know, I borrowed everyone's bats and cleats were a hit and miss every year. Like, oh, well, my, let me get a pair of cleats. Like, oh, well, let's use them as long as possible. And then I blow out the side of them. Like, all right, well, now we need to go get new cleats. You know, four years later, like I'm pretty sure I wore the same cleats from age like 11 to 14, like the same exact cleats. And then finally, by the time I was a freshman in high school, I was turning to round a double in the summertime and I blew out the side of the shoe, kind of like a Harrison Broad street. Like I had my own Harrison Broad street. It's been a situation trying to get trying to round out a double. And it's different. Cause like a lot of those kids there, like, they had pretty good money. Like I wouldn't say the the best money, but some kids had pretty good money. And so it's like the nice new fancy D Marini's and new Easton's and brand new Wilson, a 2000's. And I was just like kind of just trying to be as hard nosed as possible. Like I just was there because I love the sport i was supposed to go there for football but then my summer before freshman year started my mom went in to go get a surgery and uh, it didn't go well at the end like when she got home like she was just having issues with her incision and stuff like that so i ended up having to stay home a lot that summer uh, because my dad was working and we only had like we had a our insurance my dad's insurance we had a nurse who was able to come but she only came like once a week and my mom really couldn't get the dressings and stuff done on her own. So I like, was constantly having to change out dressings and check for wounds and take samples and all that stuff. Like, and as a 14 year old kid, I'm just like, you know, football mom, like it's hard to, to say, all right, let me go. Because I had no way to get to football. I was like, I used to, have to take uh, two buses and it was like a, an hour and like five minute bus ride. So I have to like leave super early. Cause the bus stops all over the place, all the lights. And it, it was a little bit of a trek and it's like to, have to do that every day of the summer, but then like starting to still be home. I went in and talked to the football coach and said, Hey, you know, this is what's going on. Like, I can't do it. Um, I'll have to get to a point where maybe I could try next year, uh, but I just can't play this this year. And he understood. And, you know, we had a good conversation and we, we kept in pretty good contact. Um, I was like full bore, 100% ready to go, going to play my sophomore year. And then all of a sudden, kind of same thing. My mom had more complications from the same surgery. Um, the wound got opened back up. Um, it was even bigger this time, even more problems. And we had to like, I had to add a, this machine that would take out kind of like the infection. So I had to suffer incision, which is like, which was an incision. I mean, you can see it with my hands, but it was about a, an eight inch incision and about three inches wide. And I used to have to stuff it with foam and this, like this little tube that used to suck the infection out based on the machine. again, we only got a nurse coming in once a, once a week. It was kind of hard to, to do that. And and at the time, like I'm kind of glad I never played like travel ball because I would have never been able to play. Cause I couldn't, I could only play park ball and that's all I ever played was park rec ball. That's a whole nother adventure in itself with the Latin community, <laughs> but playing park ball, you know, I was able to, do that because my dad would come home and be home by five o'clock. We wouldn't have our first game until like 6.30. So he'd come pick me up, would get in the truck right away and zoom over to the field. I'd strap the cleats on and then just kind of go. And like high school baseball is high school baseball. It's not, you know, my freshman, sophomore year, like I wouldn't say that I was um, great or outstanding or anything. And a lot of those kids, like I'd never met any of these kids before. Like I'd never even gone to the high school before for any kind of camps or anything like that. I just show up and they come to find out I was one of only three kids of the 25 kids. I was one of only three that had never been on campus for a camp or anything to make the team. So I was like, Oh, I feel pretty good about myself. And my first experience high school baseball, it wasn't bad. Like I started every day. I caught every day. I was a catcher in high school. I was catcher all growing up, honestly, very rarely that I play any other position, which is crazy. Cause now like, I don't even, I wouldn't even think about catching more than an inning or two. I'd probably die. So I was hoping to start as a junior, you know, but in the meantime, I was going to try and play football again, like I said, and my mom, she got sick again and, you know, sophomore year I had to go in and basically tell them, Hey, I just don't think football is in the cards for me in general. But what a lot of people don't know that, I mean, I don't admit this a lot, but personally, I think I was a better football player than I was a baseball player. I think I probably could have gone further in football than I could have in baseball in all reality. Baseball was in the cards and that's how God wrote his plan out for me uh-huh. and um, it was, re- it was really funny. I was having my junior year. We were having like those like counseling meetings where they talk to you about like applying for colleges and ACTs and all that good stuff. And I went and sat with my counselor who in hindsight was my junior college baseball coach actually. So I go in there and sit with him one day names Dan Kaczynski. Uh, One of my favorite coaches of all time. There's a a pretty good list of there, but one of my favorites. I think I learned the most from him growing up in college. And even I was being a man and even in my coaching lifestyle now, like there's so much that he had influenced me with. So we're sitting at his desk one day. It's my turn to talk to him about college. And, you know, me and you have had this conversation before. Like I didn't care about school. Like honestly, I hated school. I hated going to school. I hated doing homework. And a lot of people will come in here, oh, I tried really hard and I didn't. Like, I did the bare minimum. I did as much as I, you know, as little as I could. And it wasn't a lot. It wasn't because I didn't want to, but like, just growing up in the the type of family that I grew up in, like, it just wasn't a priority. Like, my parents wanted me to graduate high school because they didn't. My dad only went to school in sixth grade. Like, that's like the most he can go to school because eventually, like, in Mexico, you have to pay for school. And uh, my dad's like one of seven kids. So it's like to try and pay for all those kids to go to school it just wasn't in the card for my grandparents so after sixth grade my dad was just on his own working the fields and stuff in mexico and my mom i think she was kind of the same way i was just school wasn't it wasn't for her and she stopped going to high school at some point so like they pushed me enough to go to school that i finished i have you know i have my high school diploma i have my associate's degree i have my bachelor's degree like i have all these degrees It took me a really long freaking time to get them, but I got them, you know, and now it's just like, they're really expensive pieces of paper that I hang on the wall (laughs) because I work at a cheese factory.
1: (laughs) Let's get into, yeah, how do you go from being the kid who shows up for high school because he feels like that's the right thing to do, to being a guy who, you know, I know you went to College of DuPage, which, which is a community college, it's a junior college, but it had an athletic program, so obviously something happened that got you on that campus and put you on that path.
0: Yeah. So like I said, me and Dan are sitting in his office and he's looking at me, he's like, and he's looking at my grades. He's kind of like tilting his, like that head tilt, like, like what are we going to do with this? Like this kid's probably going to need like a 36 on his ATT to get into a really good four year university. And so like, we're looking at each other and he's like, well, what do you want to do with life? And I just fly out told him, I was like, I want to play baseball. I was like, I want to play baseball in college. Like that's just my goal and he's like all right he's like well have you had any four-year universities contact you i was like yeah i've talked to a couple and we've had conversations about like my grades and getting my grades up and stuff so we kind of just leave it there and then senior year rolls around and we're having some pre-stuff and i'm like mentioned you know throughout the conference like an up-and-comer throughout the conference because of getting an opportunity to start full-time as a senior you know they have like the the preview like they have here in springfield and i get a couple phone calls from some some other colleges and we're having these conversations they're like well what's your gpa and i just like flat out i was like i was like i don't know dude. it's like a two nine. i don't know <laughs> like i don't even know my gpa don't even care at this point like didn't think it was that big of a deal and something was going to happen and i passed enough of my classes that i was going to get into college <laughs> well they're like well with that and then the answer of like clearinghouse you have to get this on your act for us to be able to um, get you into school here and I was like, I was like, what's the incident of like clearinghouse? <laughs> and so there's this whole conversation, and I go and sit with my counselor, and he's, he's like trying to explain to me, he's like, dude, like, like what have you been doing? I was like, I was like, just showing up, man. That's all I've been doing It's just showing up. Like, that's what I do. I get here, I show up, I play sports, and I go home. <laughs> it was basically told to me that, you know, this is the place that you play sports at. I'm like, well, yeah, you got to get your education, though. Like, I'm, well, I mean, I'm passing my classes. Like, what else do you need me to do? <laughs> And they're like, well, instead of getting C's, you need to get A's and B's. I was like, all right, well, I'll try. <laughs> but as you can see, like, just wasn't in the cards. So we finally, we sit down and, you know, he comes and watches me at practice a couple of times. He's just coming out there having the conversations with the coach. And I go to some offseason stuff and he sees me there. And he pulls me into his office again one day. And he sits me down and he's like, so you ever think you're still on this, like, kick to, to play baseball? I was like, yeah, I'd like to play baseball in college as blunt face as you can get he's like well you're not playing in a four-year you just can't like there's no way you have your your grades suck and you don't have that option i said okay Uh, i was like what other options do i have he's like well how about you come play for me and i said well where do you coach and he's like well i coach the college of dupage in glen Allen, illinois it's a community college that gives you the opportunity to you know get your grades up and get everything rolling so that way you can transfer on to somewhere else and have another opportunity to play and um, this allows you to kind of play early and often that's just how the junior college route goes and i was like all right cool like yeah that's fine so i think two weeks later he calls me back in and i signed my letter of intent to go to there and it's like nowadays like kids are signing letters of intent with like the desk and tables and all the the fancy stuff with that I, I literally walked into his office put my name down and then he threw me a hoodie he's like here you go here's a hoodie for you and then like that was it No publication, like wasn't in the the school paper, wasn't in anything. Like I was going to the college page and I was going to play baseball. Hadn't even seen the campus, nothing. Just literally showed up one day. I think I showed up a couple weeks early in the summertime because I had to move into the district to get a little bit more of a discount on credit hours or price per credit hour. And so, like, and I and this is another thing I try and talk to kids about when I, you know, in my coaching, is that I went from graduating high school two weeks later. I moved into an apartment and I was on my own. And it was like, and that was it. And it's like a leap from basically living at home with your parents and having everything catered for you to, hey, now you're on your own. Let's go figure it out.
1: Chris Mesa didn't quite figure it out on the first try, but he wasn't going to get a do over. Next time on Burger Bites, Chris takes us through his struggles with injuries, work study programs, and the difficulties of having to apply himself academically at the College of DuPage. We'll break down his move from Chicago to Missouri and delve into the birth of a beautiful friendship. That's next time. But until then, I'm Rance Berger wishing you good night from Ozark, Missouri.